Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, Dad. Grace. Why are you covered in dog hair? Well, because I've been carrying the dog. Oh, the doggy. I know, because you've got a bad leg. Hmm, bad leg, Sky. Well, I may have dog here. You, why are you sitting here with a bloody towel around you and towel around your head? Because I've been fake tanning. Well, it's disgusting. Last week I had Anthony Scaramucci with his Botox and his bloody dyed hair, and now you've got your fake tan. What are you on a fake tan for? So I look nice. It's oh. been a long year. It's been a long year, and you've got to give people their, their small fixes when they can get them. Okay, yeah. I like to fake tan, so I look about <laughs> 0.2 times prettier. Okay, I don't really have anything like that, do I? No, it's because you are just a lost cause. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, actually, speaking of which, lots of women do fancy you, don't they? They do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah. That was a caveat. Uh, not a caveat, it was a link. It was a segue. You want me to talk about... Nicola. Yeah. Not Sturgeon. Not Sturgeon. Nicola Padgett, yeah. You were really shocked by that, weren't you? Um, no. So I'll just tell people briefly the story. Nicola Padgett was a very famous actress. And when I was, when we were in opposition and then when I was in government for years and years and years, she was bipolar. And when she was manic, she was, she just, she genuinely believed she and I were having a relationship. I've never met her in my life. And I've got them, I actually looked them out the other day. They're all, I've got them, loads of them upstairs. She sent me hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of letters and pictures. And, and it was, and, and the thing was, somebody who worked for me in, in, in the office was really sort of freaked out by it and said, you've got to tell the police. And, but I, I sort of sensed something really nice about her in the letters and I sensed a sort of really gentle, troubled soul. So I never did. But actually her husband, because she was married, she's got um, uh, family... And at one point, her husband, you know, she sent me stuff that he was saying about me, and I ended up having a conversation with him. Said, Look, nothing I can do about this. This is not me. Um, anyway, she died. Yes. And, and uh, so it was all out in the in the obituaries. And she wrote a book called the, uh, the, the Diamonds Behind My Eyes, and, and I Was the Stranger. Um, so it's quite a weird feeling. It is quite a weird feeling, but I never, ever felt threatened like, I'd, you know, you might do by... Do you think that's because she was a woman? If it was a man with that level of obsession with you? No, I think... Um, no, I think I, it's because you know it was mental illness. Yeah, no, I sort of sensed it was mental illness and also... But a lot of this stuff is mental illness. That's true, but look, I do have... I have had blokes that are obsessed in a Yeah, I know, sort of and way. you deal with it in different ways. Yeah, but no, I, th- I think with... Um, yeah, there was a guy in court this week for a really horrible bloody thing. Mm. Um, Don't freak me out even more. My anxiety's too high. Okay. But I think that... No, I just sensed it was kind of fine. And, uh, I must say there was one really funny moment, right? Do you know who Ming Campbell is? No. Ming Campbell's leader of the Liberal Democrats, OK? Uh, Member of Parliament, Scottish guy. And one day he came into my office and said, um, I think these are meant for you. <laughs> and she had quite a scrawly handwriting and some of the letters had gone to him, including one that had a pair of knickers in it. Oh my god! Yeah, wow. Yeah. So he thought you were having an affair with with, with a lady was with famous the, actress. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So everyone thought you were a big don in Parliament because you were getting <laughs> sent knickers like a rock star. Grace, I know that you and your mother find it very, very odd, but I think you'll find that quite a lot of women find me very, very. Attractive. I don't find that odd necessarily. <laughs> I, I find it gross, but I find it more funny that Mum just doesn't care. I know, That's quite. my favourite thing ever. If I 
if my partner, if women fancied my partner, I would go and find those women and, and punish them severely. But mum couldn't give less of a shit I know, when women funny. fancy you. She and did, that's what I love on, about mum so much. Well, I love lots of things about mum as well, but... She did get a little bit edgy about the Diana stuff at times. Yeah, but that's because that's Princess Diana. That's a different <laughs> league of someone. But also, that's because you just do it to egg her Even on. Even that, to be honest, she was quite... What, jealous? Well, no, she was quite not jealous. Like, we had these dinners, and this dinner once where... The thing is, if, they, if Princess Diana fancied my partner, I'd just be like, well, I give up. Well, because I've got no chance. <laughs> no, but what was what was funny was even then though, like she was like, mum was like, as as this dinner where, I'm, I'm not lying, Diana was a bit all over me, right? <coughs> and, um, <coughs> excuse me. And as we left, mum was just like, oh, "You were pathetic." <laughs> said you like teenagers. <laughs> but what's what's most funny about me? So I've been in situ- social situations with you and mum, and a woman will be flirting with you. And I'll say to mum, mum, do you want me to go over there and say something? Like, that's bang out of order. And she's like, Grace, she can have him. (laughs) Um, So anyway, Lady Di is a sort of good next um, segue into what we talk about a lot this week on the podcast, which is obviously Harry, Meghan and the Oprah interview. And obviously um, there are rumours within the Campbell Miller family that Harry is a member um, of the family. You just what don't... are you talking about? You've always said Harry was my brother. Oh, shut up, Grace. You I've do. Never, ever said that. You always say that. Grace, you say... Okay, he's going to punish me, so I'm just going to say that was um, um, not a joke, but <laughs> I'll say it was a lie just because otherwise he'll get angry at me. Anyway, so this week on the podcast, we talk a lot about Harry and Meghan. Um, and we and we our guest is this is such a fun podcast. I loved editing it. I loved listening to it. I didn't know how much you worked with Aisha mm. on the Ed Miliband campaign. Yeah. I had no idea of any of those stories, so yeah. I loved hearing about she all of that. Funny. She does do a good Ed Miliband. She does the uh, honestly. I just listen had... to this podcast just for her, her impression of Ed Miliband. Grace, I thought that we didn't announce the guest until we. I know, but this is just a lovely little natural okay. conversation. Aisha Hazarika is her name, and the guest is Aisha Hazarika. <laughs> Thank you. Well, can I start? Because we wanted to sort of start by talking about Harry and Meghan, didn't we? The huge cultural moment that was the interview that aired while we're recording this on Tuesday, the 9th of March. It aired last night in the UK. Um, Did you watch it live, Aisha, or had you seen it before? No, I did save it up to watch it live. And even though I did see a lot of clips um, during the day yesterday from obviously the American uh, debut of it, I was kind of thinking it might be a bit flat. You know, when you see a film and the trailer, you've seen all the best bit in the trailers, I sort of thought it might be. But I thought it was very powerful. I was quite I was quite surprised. I thought it was quite moving, very shocking. Some real reveals. Um and for me, what was interesting is Megan normally is like the star and I actually think she was quite muted, which I do understand. I think Harry had a really big moment last night. I think we kind of really saw Harry go from that wee boy we saw behind his mother's funeral cortege. Then we had him being this wild child and sort of all over the place. And I think last night you actually did see somebody who was properly grown up and a kind of adult man and a family man and had a sense of of mission. I think you sort of really saw him grow up and saw so much of his mum in him last night. So I thought it was quite a big moment for him. Did you... No, this... you you're, you're, you've done stuff with both of them. No, I've only done stuff with him. Okay, so you've, d- you've done stuff with, with Harry, as have I, and I've done stuff with William as well. Do you think that if sometimes what happens with these people in the in the media world that because you do stuff with them and because you like them when you do that stuff, that you sort of feel you have to defend them more and we, and that we all tend to want to take sides and that do you feel you're taking sides with Meghan and Harry against whoever is there against, whether that's the media, whether they're against the royal family, whoever it might be? So I, d- I don't think I did in in the beginning because I don't think I was hugely that bothered about them either way and I hadn't always been very complimentary about Harry I did think he was a bit of a kind of frat boy idiot when you know he was growing up and stuff and dressing up as a Nazi that's not so good right <laughs> it's not quite it's not quite my vibe 
No, but it's, it's I, I not a good vibe. It's not a good vibe. Um, but I have to say, I just have become a bit more interested in particularly in talking about the mental health stuff. And to be honest, when all the Megan stuff happened, I was definitely interested in her because she was so different. And of course, you know, being a woman of colour and all that stuff. But I didn't really feel I had massive skin in the game until I just saw how the press just went berserk. And I suppose just then a sense of, and I get their privilege and I get that she's a princess and, you know, I should be caring about other people who are more marginalised in society, etc, etc. However, the blatant unfairness and the hypocrisy and the double standards, I was kind of just blown away. So I ended up defending them a lot. I hadn't ever met them at this point. I didn't really have, wasn't like massively, hugely, you know, that keen on them. I just thought it was really, really unfair and total double standards from the press. So I think I kind of... I sort of supported them before I met them and then I happened to like them when I met them. Because I think there are, two, there are two parts of that and the, one part is with Megan, it's like you, you have to sympathise with the vilification that she got from the press here and that is just something that she couldn't have been prepared for. And then watching the interview, you're like, God, no one inside was helping her um, while she was really suffering. But then there is, you know, Harry is the child of Diana and I said to Dad yesterday before the interview had aired, I do think for my generation, Megan is a sort of Diana figure in that she's she's an outlier. She's trying to go against the grain and she's exposing these things and actually in, in some ways in a much more impactful way, like with, with what they're doing now. Um, but you feel you feel for both of them on individual counts, which I think is really, it's quite, it's quite a strong emotion. And that's why especially young people are really coming to defend them. Like, you know, me and my friends were saying we just completely forgot of all of the mishaps that Harry did because now he's kind of really changed his image. Um, but did you, was there anything in that that you felt this is really going to have a long lasting effect on the royal family? Oh, there was there was loads. Look, I don't think it was all perfect. I mean, some of it was like those those shots in the sort of organic chicken coop were just like, oh my god, that was like weird. so cringe. And um, you know, <laughs> was was at one point when they were like, you know, they're all super woke and organic. It's like, what's what was Archie's first word? And he was like, hydrate or something like that. It was like, I know, <laughs> quinoa or like hydration or something. And like <laughs> I was just like kombucha. I was like, I you know, come on, guys, like really. But there were more. Heisha, do you want to you know what Grace's first words were? <laughs> Gary Nettle. <laughs> it's a true story. Because <laughs> the boy that, that Rory used to just t read football stories to her. <laughs> Gary Nettle. So um, you remember any no, of that? No, I agree. Those bits were super. And when she compared herself to the Little Mermaid, oh, yeah, that as was well. awful. The other thing, just following the comedy thing, the other thing that just really did crap me up. You know the, the the trailer that they sort of put out. Even though it was like really serious, the music was so funny. It was that like hysterical music. You know, it was like mild peril and kind of thing. It was just it was the same music they used for like Married at First Sight Australia. I was like the people. I was like, it's not. This is not appropriate music. But genuinely, Grace, there were moments, right? You know, I'm a, you know, cynic, worked a long time with your dad. You know, you know me for a long time. I don't get that shocked. I think I sort of have seen most things. But I, there were moments where I was genu genuinely, I was like, wow. The bit when she was describing her mental health and how fragile she felt. And if she hadn't gone out that night, she was genuinely worried about herself. The fact she didn't get any help from the palace. And then Harry's body language when he was asked about that discussion about the skin colour of Archie. About race. Oh, my God. Right, a lot of commentators are downplaying this, going, no, 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 no. They were just having a lovely wee chat about whether the, the baby was going to have a lovely wee curly hair. My niece and nephews are, bi are biracial, right? And they're, you know when you're having a conversation about how cute they're going to look compared to the reaction that he, you know, his body language was like, clearly this was a really bad conversation that happened. I was really, really shocked by that. Mm. You know, can I just say, actually, you know, I, I'm, I think I sent you your index entry for volume eight, which is coming out soon. And there's a really f interesting bit where I'm talking to the government about previous volumes of diaries covering the Diana's funeral. And there was one bit at the last meeting before the, the day before the funeral where the guy in charge suddenly sort of clapped his hands like this and he went, well, ladies and gentlemen, the die is cast. And around the table, half of the room thought, oh, my God, I cannot believe he said that. The die is cast. Oh right? It was like a horrible 
play on words. And the other half of the room just thought he meant the die is cast. It's all done. The planning's over. That's it. There's no going back on what we've done. And I think sometimes you can get this sort of, you know, people look at things, see things in different ways. And what I have really not enjoyed about the last 48 hours is this, that's why I asked you about taking sides, is this sense of, you know, people just want to feel rage one way or the other. And it sort of does my head in. But just on that, yeah, but the, one, the, the one thing I'd slightly push back on that, I think one of the reasons why it has enraged a lot of people, and I probably am on the kind of enraged side of things, and I try and be quite calm about things. I do think if you are a, a person of colour, and particularly a woman of colour, this is, this, you've seen this story play out. Like you have experienced, I've experienced this stuff myself. I mean, Grace as a young woman may have experienced some of this. There is a particular thing, and I just think what, what, why this moment is so unique is this is like this story is not new okay and everybody knows that they are the establishment and you know they do things in a certain way but what makes a story unique is for the first time and i mean this in my lifetime we've seen a woman of color stand up to the bullies like normally that never ever ever happens and if you try and put your head above the parapet and you stand up to the bullies like you either get a mark against your name you never work again or you get absolutely crushed and she has been absolutely audacious from that point of view, along with Harry supporting her and them doing it together. And I think that's why, Grace, your comments earlier about how so many of your generation really see her as an outlier. And some, and I think for me, as a person of colour, it is mm-hmm. like we've never really seen this happen before. So I do understand, you know, Alistair, you are right. People are taking sides because they, they feel like they're taking sides on a bigger kind of moral issue that nobody in this country has really talked about for a long, long, long... We, we've talked about overt racism, but this kind of institutional racism, which, yes, back from the McPherson report, we started to kind of talk around it. This has blown the whole thing open, plus all the, you know, the work that you've done and, and you and I have worked together on the press and all this stuff. This one woman has come along and she's mm. had the balls to just do the things that so many people have never, ever done. She's kind of exploded the whole thing. And I think that's why people are taking sides. But they're not so much taking sides in a petty, oh, I just want to take... It's not football, you know, the footballification of politics. It's like on a sort of very deeply personal level. I think and it's, it's such a complex issue because, Dad, you could say that people take sides on kind of everything now. That's just how the world and social media is set out. Like that, yeah. you, could, you could apply that to loads of issues that happen. But this, is, this involves race. It involves class. It involves being a woman. It involves the media. It involves mental health. I mean, it's exploded so many different conversations in the last few days that I don't think... And I think people will be split. There were parts of that interview that I found too indulgent and kind of you know self-obsessed but and two sort of celebritizations but then there were other parts that just like Aisha said I watched and just thought this is so powerful to watch and to think about and to see this one woman who's pregnant who's heavily pregnant but Alistair can I ask you one question as well I mean you've had a lot to do with the palace at like you know such a moment of crisis in terms of when Diana died do you think there is any? Do you think there is the will and the capacity for the palace to genuinely modernise and change and soften and become a bit more humane? Um, I, the short answer is yes, if they have to. Um, and you know, I wrote about the Queen in, in the book I wrote about winning, and I think what's really interesting about the Queen and the monarchy generally, they do have an incredible capacity for survival. And they and they're guided by this prince that that line from uh, from the famous Italian book, The Leopard. You know, uh, nothing, everything changes so that nothing changes at all. And you, they're, they're just this very, very. They'll change if they have to, but you'll hardly notice it when they do. And they would argue that they have changed hugely. I mean, I think even you know William and one of the things I find most troubling about this whole thing about their reaction. William and Harry and Me- and Megan, William and Harry and Kate, having done the Heads Together campaign, was fantastic for the mental health agenda. And now along comes this, and this sort of you know, the the central message is that inside the palace there's no there's no help. So <clears throat> I think they will change, but I think it'll be very very subtle and we won't notice it. And but don't you think so much of of their like the way that they've sustained this period is because of the Queen? And and when Charles takes over. 
it will be surely because that chapter you did sorry just to um, plug your book winners again for the third time I think so find this podcast um, <laughs> in that chapter you actually said that it was mainly the queen that it you wrote that chapter about the queen more than the monarchy didn't you and that it was no, the what, queen no what they did was they slimmed down actually to take out uh, from the public space a lot of the lesser royals in the focus very much more on Queen Philip Charles and William, that was the big thing. And then it was just these constantly these themes of service. That's why I wonder whether Harry and Meghan talking about doing service in a different way is part of the pushback. But I also think that, you know, you, people say it'll all change when the Queen goes, and it will obviously be a massive moment for the country. But I just think they find a way of adapting. And I'll tell you the other thing, I wrote, I've written this piece for Tortoise, and Peter, I was talking to Peter Morgan recently, The Crown, right? And he was reminding me, back in the 90s, he was watching this for his research, he used to have television programmes, debates about the future of the monarchy. He had MPs like Willie Hamilton, who just made his name on attacking the royal family, right? Nobody does it anymore. They've won. And I think that when, you know, the Queen is no longer with us, I suspect they'll just adapt into this. And I don't think they'll do much in response to this. I think, it, I think they think this is more of a frenzy than it is a crisis and that it will kind of calm down and go away. Aisha, do you think that, do you think that they'll, because obviously all of the covers of the papers today are about whether or not the royal, the palace will respond on the racism claims. Do you think they will? I think they should, but I, I think very depressingly, I think Alistair's probably right and I feel pretty like distressed about that because I do think the royal family could, can be a force for good. And I think there's so much affection for the Queen. And this is, I think, the thing... This is why... I don't know if I quite agree with you, Alistair, but I suppose we're not going to know time is going to tell. I feel like the Queen, just because of her sheer... She is so unique in terms of just her sheer length of service. She is this golden thread that takes us back through modern British history, from Churchill to where we are today. I mean, she is a completely unique historical figure. She's a precious figure. And there is almost something weirdly magical about her because she has, you know, who can you meet that span that amount of time? And funny enough, you mentioned the crown. I mean, the crown has made a whole generation of people, even though yeah. they didn't like the queen, completely respect her and have this mm. unbelievable sense of, um, you know, admiration. Her, you know, it's, it's completely painted her in a different light. And, I ju and also, she comes across it, I mean, she doesn't come across perfect, but she does come across as a woman who has at least got some capacity to be self-aware and reflect on the institution and see where it sits with the currents of society. So what I did you find depressing? I find it depressing you when you said that you don't think that, they, that the, the palace will just see this as a frenzy and not actually want to address it. Because I do mm. think that when she passes... I think there's going to be a look. This country's changing, right? The demographics of this country are changing. There's a whole generation of people which Meghan was like some attraction, right? But Meghan's yeah, yeah. wedding, right? I had so many young women of colour who, you know, normally will not interact with me on anything like this. This is amazing. I'm really interested in the royal family now. This is blowing my mind. Do you know, for a lot of people, that wedding meant more to them than the Olympic ceremony. Like th th there was that pride. There was a total. For a lot of young people, a lot of people of colour, that was a really big moment of pride. And if the palace just say, and Alistair may well be right, they go, oh, storm in the teacup, it will blow over. I think that is going to disappoint a generation. No, of, I don't think they'll people. do that. I don't think they'll do that. I think that, but, but I, I, what they won't do is come out and say, this bit of the interview was true, that bit wasn't true. Uh, this is who we think she means, but actually this is what they said. They won't do any of that stuff. But I think what you'll see... I mean, the, what part of the Queen's whole approach is kind of show, not tell. And so I, it's like, you know, she's on social media, but she's on social media looking like she's always looked. She just moves with the times very, very gradually. So I think you'll probably start to see possibly more black people getting appointed to the, the palace jobs, starting from a very, very, very low base. You might start to see when the, the sort of military that are surrounding them, that maybe... So that's the kind of thing that they do. You might see it in the choice of visits that they do. But what I don't think you'll see is them diving into this frenzy um, because they will think that all they'll do if they do that is keep it going. Well, I think if they did a sort of point by, I, I completely agree with you. I think doing a, a point, a rebuttal sort of thing would be absolutely mm -hmm. terrible. 
But at some point, I think people will expect her, whether it's a very gentle gesture, whether it's something which is somehow you're almost reading between the lines, I think at some Ooh. point she is going to have to address this a bit, you know. Remember when she yeah, did think, that, what was that famous bit, was an ab, um, Anna's horrible speech, where she did that speech, you know, when everything had gone wrong, there was a fire at Windsor and, yeah, yeah. you know, Fergie and Andrew, you know, and she, at some point, I think she'll have to make a nod to it. Well, she's very good at that. I mean, it's like, you know, she 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 does give little nods, like during the Scottish referendum when she said, you know, I hope people think very carefully. And it was such an obvious thing to say. I hope people think very carefully. But it was kind of, it was seen as a big statement. And I, you know, I think for the next bit, Fiona, Grace's mum was just saying, God, how long is this going to go on? It's going to go on for a long time because the first time William's seen in public, the first time Kate's seen in Mm. public, the first time the Queen's in public, all of these things are going to be big moments now because of what's happened in the last few days. And how they manage them, that's where you'll see whether there's any subtle change, but I think it will only be subtle. Yeah, but I, I mean, I also do th- keep thinking about the fact that they've literally completely ignored everything regarding Prince Andrew. And so they are very good at just pretending yeah. things aren't happening yeah. to the outside world. So that, got, you know, it's very got, likely that that's the avenue they're going to go down where they yeah. will just try not to even give it any attention in the hope that people will move on. And maybe they will, maybe they won't. But what I agree with you on, I agree with you on everything, Aisha, but it is really different for my generation because I don't see her as someone who's just um, decided that this is what what her intention was, is to break up the monarchy. I think she her intentions were good and I actually think she's a really kind person. Um, she's just also been kind of fucked over by the system that she married into. So it's a really generational thing. Well, the point is, though, that neither you nor mum know. Of we course not. But, but don't you think that to, to, to say that about a mixed-race woman, it, 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 there are so many different layers to it when you decide that this woman had different intentions than just wanting to marry this person and coming into this family, and it, it went terribly wrong because I'll tell you what I do. a lot to do with her race and the media and the way that that was treated. I'll tell you what I do really hate is this sort of people questioning other people's motivations when they talk about what's going on inside their heads you know so people who don't like it people who didn't like her already the minute she said she had suicidal thoughts it's like you made it up you know I mean uh, that I find just horrible and horrific and that's what I mean about the well let's call it out it wasn't just it wasn't I mean but it's like but you know I think this is why as well this is now exploded. This story is detonated, right? It's not just about the palace. It is a bigger question about society. It's a bigger question about the media. And what you've just described, Alistair, is pretty shocking. But let's name that person. I mean, that was Piers Morgan. Who Piers Morgan this morning, basically, or was it yesterday, just completely ridiculed the idea that this, this person had had, you know, suicidal thoughts. I mean... Is that really where things have got? Like, in you know, is that where we are? I, I don't know. Do you know, one of the things I just feel really, really, like, genuinely saddened about, I think this country's gone nuts, right? I think this country has gone nuts. Actually, pre-Brexit, I think you can whisk it back to the post-financial crash, Scottish referendum. Since then, I think this country's gone nuts in a really, really bad way. Mm. And I just feel like I'm 45... I remember growing up, sort of, a bit of racism growing up. Things genuinely really got better in my 20s into my 30s. And now I just feel we live in a very cold climate again. We live in a really uncompassionate, quite nasty, polarised, like, quite venal sort of society. And it's just like, how has this happened? Like, what the hell has happened to us as a society? And I think that's another reason why the story's upsetting so many people, because it's kind of holding a mirror up to all of that stuff. And I was doing some shows on uh, LBC. This was like, God, this is like, I don't know, maybe 2016, 2017, maybe 2017, 2018, 2019, when, let's be honest, the Brexit discourse was going absolutely nuts in this country as well. And I remember doing a couple of phone-ins on Meghan Markle, and I... the racism, the, the absolute off-the-scale, off unhinged racism, hatred... I just feel that like all of this stuff has kind of collided in this really mm. frightening, toxic way. Like we genuinely did. I'm never saying this this place was perfect. I'm sure my parents when they came over got there many of their own stories, but something's gone really, really rotten in this country over like. Asia, you know that 
the, the thing about the, the country going nuts, the country's been, <clears throat> the media has been nuts about the royals for decades. Uh, I mean, they've just, there's this sort of diet of stuff around the royals, which, you know, they, and then I agree with you about the Scottish referendum and Brexit and all that. But I, I also think, by the way, that some of this is a, is a backlash, just as I've always thought that Trump winning in America was partly the backlash against having Obama for eight years. They then said, we've had a black guy, we're not having a woman. And I think that this this kind of, you know, the, I mean, I don't even know what this woke word means, but this kind of anti-woke thing is like a backlash against, well, against the don't know what, against progress, actually. And people don't want it. Yeah, and I, so, think, I think you're right. But then what does that mean? Is is that I feel that the teachable, the, from the sad, the really worrying thing is, it's not like anyone, I mean, as we said, everything's so polarised, but... It's like, what do you do? Do you then have a situation where, like, okay, if you if you have the temerity to take one step forward, like elect a black man in America, or mm. allow a, a mixed race woman into the into the royal family, it then it, like it's okay to then just have this horrible backlash, mm. like you know. No, I'm not defending where does this it. Go? I'm not defending it at all. I'm I'm I'm, de- I'm describing it, not defending it. But I think that's how progress is made, and um, you know, you, sometimes it is two steps forward, one steps back. You know, like we've got this, you've got racism going on. I was asked on the world at one, is the British media racist? I said, there is considerable racism in the British media. No doubt about that at all. And it helps them sell to some of them. It's about selling to their to their audience. But you've had the black light, look at the Black Lives Matter thing. That comes and then, you know, the footballers are still taking a knee. You know, that's, so the, the debate develops and goes on in, 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 at a different pace. But, you know, I don't think we should think it's kind of, it's all going to hell in a handcart. And by the way, the thing about, yes, Piers is, was, is the most high-profile person doing it, but I've got to be honest, I saw a lot of people on social media saying, oh, do me a favour, you know, pull the other one. I think it's all part of this kind of, you know... Yeah, but none of them have... Yeah, I do I do think... I know you get annoyed when people get angry at Piers, but I, no, I, I don't. Do think, I I'm not because you defend him. no. I no, 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 but you it. say let's not talk about, let's not give... Let me finish. You say let's not give him the time of day is what you say, right? That's what you said to me earlier. Let's not talk about Piers too much because we give him the attention he wants. You think, you know, he yeah. craves attention, which I understand. But I also think, like Aisha said, you have to name and shame these people constantly. And Piers probably encouraged a lot more people on social media to say stuff like that and then followed it through today by acting like like a baby. And that's why this this conversation we could talk about for hours because... There are so many different layers to it. And like you said, Aisha, it's, it's confronted so many people's experiences of feeling like they've been shamed or silenced with their mental health, their race, whatever that, might, that may be. And that's why it's bringing up all of these feelings. But where, I mean, I'm going to ask you this, Aisha, but where do you think we will go now just to, fight, I guess, finish up the Meghan Markle conversation? She's in America now. There, supposedly, this interview will be the big sort of pièce de résistance. Do you think they're going to carry on kind of campaigning in this way with the royal family? Do you think it will carry on having as much impact as it's had in the last few weeks? My sense is that I think they've... It's all so explosive that I think they'll probably take a step back for a while now. I think that, you know, they're going to probably just concentrate on doing their, you know, Archiewell thing. They, you know, do their production work get on with having a family i don't i think my sense is i think they'll keep their head down for for a while but i don't think this issue is going to go away because it's really really messy i would love to think that you know they we could somehow have a happy ending where they become the symbols of our society and they come back together and it's kumbaya and everything's great but i don't think that is going to happen and i think that's true of the the bigger issues we've just talked about i think this very difficult, layered, complicated, divisive, messy issue is going to just sort of carry on. But this week, and I cannot underline this enough, and there's a big generational divide, there's a big race divide. For a lot of us who've grown up as second generation immigrants, our mum and dads, when they you go to any immigrant house, we bloody love the royal family. We've got royal family crockery, right, all over the... I mean, I've got a queen, I've got a mug from, you know, the longest serving. We ethnic minorities, particularly the older generation, they love the queen, they love the royal family. 
And I think for quite a lot of that generation and their children, there is just a sort of feeling of quite like a lot of confusion and a lot of hurt about what's happened. Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, I can see that. Listen, it's not. It's, I, I think it's. Um, it will. It will keep going. There's. There's. And and also, you say they'll just get on with their archwell work, but of course, <laughs> that's really about media stuff. It's about yeah. you know they're going to be they're going to be out there the whole time. I think. And mm. no, I think it's going to get messy for a while. And and don't forget, you've got Prince William and Prince Philip, very old in hospital. The Queen, I actually thought for the first time the other day slightly looking her age. I don't know if you saw her in that Commonwealth. So, you know, you, you're talking about... Mind you, I'm seeing nothing. I look like Zelda from Terrorhawks at this point in like. <laughs> no, you don't. You really don't. <laughs> anyway, well, there we are. Should we talk about politics and Labour? Yeah. I think we should. Um, Grace happy, is, happy. Grace's mum had a question. She said, oh, you're talking to Aisha. Ask her when the, woman, when the Labour Party is ever going to have a woman leader. I know we've had Harriet and Margaret as interims, but when is Labour going to get a woman leader, do you think? Grace, I don't know. I genuinely don't know. And it just, it, it's awful. I genuinely don't know. I, I don't think we're going to have one for a while. Mm. How do you, you think, think Keir's doing? Uh, so I think he's had phases. I think phase one was to deal with a lot of the internal stuff and sort of anti-Semitism, kind of cauterize the absolute kind of, you know, the fallen reputation that, that we had. I think he's done that very well. I think he has started to sort of clean out the stables, but that's not enough. Like he can't, his sole thing can't just be, hey, um, his first thing was like, I'm not Jeremy Corbyn. And he's massively established the fact that he's not Jeremy Corbyn. But in many ways, <laughs> in many ways, that was like the easy bit. Like that was the kind of easy bit. And now the really, really hard bit, like no one in the public really cares that much that he's not Jeremy Corbyn it's like okay well who are you and I think this is the bit that I'm you know let's just be honest we're struggling at the moment the Labour Party I think is struggling I think it's struggling not just with getting its message out not just in terms of you know charisma pizzazz I think it's struggling with the fundamental question on the economy which is the central issue right now I think it hasn't defined what it wants to do and what its central ideology what its central argument is and that's a really big problem yeah i think Keir needs to do some more soul searching but obviously it's it's he's already won but i think he need, i i have this really strong sense of i don't think he knows who he is and then that projects insecurity and, and self-doubt onto other people <laughs> So I think he needs to go and do ayahuasca or something with a shaman you, and just, just you, go deep you, to his core and just you, really work out who he is in three words. Grace, do you but, think but, he wouldn't... Aisha, have, so when, when you were working for, for Ed Miliband, when he was leader of the Labour Party, and, and he, he kept dragging me into those bloody meetings that <laughs> I, would, I would get very frustrated and quite agitated and we'd sort of, we'd try our best, but... Did you not feel, I mean, what Grace, I think, is saying is that despite Johnson being awful, the public is sort of making up their mind that this this isn't going to work for Labour. Don't you think people thought that with Ed as well and that he never got over that? Um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I think people have thought that about the Labour Party before pre-2010, you know, to, to be honest. And I think that... Um, I think successive Labour leaders since probably Tony Blair, but I think, you know, lots of different things have happened since then. I think we cling to our past glories, right? I think we are frozen in political aspect. If you're like a sort of more of a sort of centrist or whatever you want to call it, I think I think our side is absolutely ridiculous now as well. I think we just like, we, we hark back to these glory days, you know, obviously in your time, you know, the run-up to the 1997 election, which of course was an incredible moment, but you can't just like live in the past the whole time. Like, where is our vision for now? This is the most, mm. you know, it's a profoundly important moment. There is an opportunity to kind of, well, look, all the economic orthodoxies are sort of getting ripped up now. We see the Tories spending, you know, we see Rishi Sunak meeting out this budget that John McDonnell would have, have loved to have done. But of course, you know, we should have, we've got different answers for the 
for the long term. But I think, see, I what I slightly think Greece is. I'm not sure if Kia has got time to go on a gap year to India to find himself. He needs right? it. <laughs> he probably just doesn't have. He'd be like, guys, I'm just going. As soon as pandemic's <laughs> over, I'm off to Goa with Greece. It would help. I'm it's me and so Greece much are heading off long right. term. <laughs> Grace, while he was there, would he do anything for the public? Would we know he was still leader of the Labour Party? Or was it a full I years? honestly think it would be so much more worthwhile if he could just really, really go and do some soul searching. Truly, he needs to just take a tab of acid. I don't know. <laughs> well, uh, I think he's more likely to take a tab of antacid. Like, I don't think he's going to do something. Like, but Alistair, what do you think? What do you think? Um, you're the guest, Aisha. You're the guest. Oh God! So I, I, no, no, no. That's not fair. That's not fair. I, but I look. I think here. I don't think there's a a different person that should be leading the Labour Party now. Or anything. I think he's got. I think he's brilliant in many ways. I think he's a really, really decent man. But I do think Labour's got to, you know, get a grip of some of these bigger, bigger arguments. No, because... I, think, I mean, I'll tell. I'll tell you what my sort of thoughts briefly are that. You know, I was saying, Grace said to me the other day, how do you win an election? And I said, well, you have to, you have you to attack out, your Daddy. opponent properly. You have to project your own side properly. And you have to have policies that people say, yeah, I can see them as the government. And I think that, that what I really think Keir does have going for him in a way that Corbyn simply never had, and Ed had intermittently, uh, is that people look at him and they can imagine him in Downing Street. I think he kind of he looks like he could be a prime minister and he sounds like he could be a prime minister. But I think Labour have been far too weak in attack on Johnson in particular over COVID and over Brexit. Uh, there's a timidity about the team that I find really strange. Very few of the shadow cabinet are known by anybody outside the sort of political world. Um, and on the policy agenda, they seem to think that policy is about saying, this is what we would do if we were in power tomorrow. The policy agenda in opposition is about how you shape arguments to get to the election. Mm. And so I just think there's, there's, and maybe it's because they have, you know, there aren't that many people in that team in the shadow cabinet and in the PLP now that have been around for a long time. Aisha, when you were working for Ed, did it feel like how much like the thick of it did it feel like? <laughs> Grace, every day was like the thick of it. I mean, literally every day was like the from everything. I mean, literally everything that could have gone wrong. Like, well, honestly, I have. I mean, I did two stand up shows based on my time working for Ed Miller. Like, I remember when Ed first we put Ed on Twitter. We put Ed on Twitter, right? He didn't even know what Twitter was. And there was a guy called Kenny who was in, Scottish guy called Kenny, who was in, in charge of his Twitter account. And uh, one day Ed comes in and, and Kenny is like absolutely free. Bob Holness has just died, right? The, the sort of game show. And Ed comes in and he's like, oh, hi, hi, how's it all going? How's it all going? And Kenny's like, well, there's good news and there's bad news. And Ed's like, oh, 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 oh give me the good news, give me the good news. He's like, the good news is you're trending. <laughs> And it's like, oh, what's that? That means you've gone global. The bad news is I misspelt a tweet in your name and I've caused a lot of racial offence. And instead of saying, oh, so Ed Ed basically, Kenny put a tweet going, oh, you know, Ed Miliband, huge condolences to Bob Holness, like this amazing host of Blackbusters instead of Blockbusters. (laughs) Right, so... (laughs) literally every day was like that you know i mean forget the bacon sandwich every day something we went one day we went to scotland to do an interview in like this local station and we're in ed's in the the ed's in the radio station in the booth and a naked man just appears beside him just just a naked man just naked swinging all over a lot of flesh swinging around what did he want want from ed i don't know ed's like Grace, you've got a story about Ed Miliband and a naked man. Yeah, well, so when we... This is what made me think of the thick of it and Ed. And I mean, I know politics is very the thick of it, but this... So we were in Glasgow for the... Just before the Scottish referendum. And I was staying in a hotel in a hotel with my dad. And I just left him and said, oh, I'm going out to see my friend. I'm walking through this hotel in Glasgow. And I bump into Ed in the corridor. And he says, oh, are you here with your dad? And I was like, yeah, my dad's asleep in his hotel room. And he said, I really need to talk to him. Can you go and wake him up? Because I need to talk to him. So I, I knock on the door. No, I had a key to your hotel room. I open the, the hotel door and dad's asleep in his boxers. And Ed just goes and perches on the end of my dad's bed. 
wakes him up and just goes, you know, Alistair, how do you think we're doing? How do you think we're doing? <laughs> so, <laughs> Alistair, you wake up and there's literally Ed Miliband is like, Ed yeah. Miliband. That's like the worst booty call ever, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and do you remember, I was, I was just going through the next diaries. Do you remember those TV debate rehearsals? Oh. I was a bit brutal, wasn't I? Okay, I, your dad was were such a nightmare. So, like, we were doing these... T- <laughs> but it was, like, cathartic for, like, your dad. Alistair literally was, like, letting it all out. He's like, and another thing, you utter fucker. And another fucking thing. And let me fucking, you fucking shitbag. And all's good. And then was like, oh, 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 oh. And then afterwards, it was, like, destroyed psychologically. And we had to be like, Alistair... The point of these debates is to try and build up his confidence, not beat him to a no, pulp. I didn't swear. I didn't swear. I had. I just. I decided. And I was right, by the way. I said Cameron will go <laughs> relentlessly on the the whole point about the mess we inherited, which Ed and I had argued about for years. Anyway, we had some good but fun. We did. Although, I, how good? I was a very good Nicola Sturgeon. You were a good Nicholas Sturgeon. Oh, why? Oh, I love that. And Ed, I was a really... Ed, Ed, Ed was Ed. I was Cameron. Uh, Aisha was... Um, who was who, Nick? Who was what? Who was Nick Clegg? Oh, who's Nick Clegg again? It was Theo. No, that was with Gordon. Who was Nick Clegg? Oh, God, I can't remember. And then Elinard was uh, Leanne from Blight. <laughs> <laughs> She couldn't make it. And this man called Mark Steers, because he was vaguely Welsh, had to be Leanne. And he put on this really effeminate Welsh accent and he just kept going, in Wales. And it was just like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) He'd be like, in Wales, we really care about people. Like, He's not Pakistani, he's just got really bad Welsh accent. Just like, it was just like, what are you doing? Oh my god. <laughs> Aisha, would you ever go back and do that again? Oh god, yeah, I'd definitely go and help people again. You know, because doing stuff like that, it is it's a great privilege to do it. And also, you know, I I, I kind of love love a lot doing of fun, that. It, it is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. But oh, interestingly, it is Alistair, it is a huge amount of fun. But what you just touched on there when you said that you and Ed sort of, you know, had a row over some of those fundamentals. What you see in those um, debate prep things, you know, and it goes back to PMQ prep. And I interviewed your dad for, for the book that Tom Hamilton and I wrote um, on PMQ's Punch and Duty Politics. You know, you've got to thrash out, and it kind of loops back to Labour thing. You do have Thomas to start Clegg. thrashing out these... Oh, yes, Thomas Clegg. That's right, Thomas Clegg. You've got to kind of start thrashing out some of these arguments now because it's almost too late mm. to wait when you're going into... If you're in debate prep, right, you're you're in the run up to the short campaign. You've got to. I think, Alistair, you said to us that you have to use PMQs as a sort of strategic anvil to yeah. start seeding and testing these messages, yeah. because the the you crashed the car and the long term economic plan. Cameron and Osborne started dropping those phrases into PMQs from like two weeks into the. They they use that as like a testing ground to see how these messages work. They refine them. How did they? So by the time you get to the short campaign, these messages have been tested in PMQs. They've been tested. You've got to have. You do have to have these kind of fundamental arguments now, really. Yeah. And great. So Grace, the big argument we were having, I had with Ed, it went on for years, was that I felt that because Ed was trying to differentiate himself from Tony and Gordon, he wasn't defending the new Labour record. And that allowed the Tories to say that we'd achieved nothing and we were responsible for the crash. And, I, you know, I hate to say it, but I really do think it could have been different. I think if Labour had really, really, really stood up for our record, not in a kind of let's look back to the past, I agree with what Aisha said about that, but actually stood up for the record and said Labour governments do more for people than Tory governments do. And we just, we, we seeded that whole ground. We've never mm. got it back. And then And then set that up for Corbyn to then... Absolutely. Corbyn comes in after, you know, there's really, in this book, which ends in 2015, Corbyn's only in it once, and it's right at the end when he and I are in a radio studio together on the day that Ed resigns. And the idea at that moment that Corbyn would be the next leader is just 
incredible. But that's what happened within days. <clears throat> incredible. But Alistair, do you do you just two things quickly in terms of that argument about not defending the record, which I do I do accept as an uh, an an argument, and I think that is something we should have done more of. But given that we had lost the 2010 general election and, again, the economy was a central issue, was it not a case that the public just didn't buy our arguments that we were better on all these things? We were making those arguments in the run-up to the 2010 general election campaign, but they just didn't work with the electorate. The voters didn't trust us. No, I don't. You mean Gordon's election? Yeah, I mean, he was... yeah, well, twenty, yeah, twenty ten, and then that took us into Ed's sort of period no, of I time. Think, no, I think I think by the time Gordon was in charge, I think you know we'd been in power a long time. He'd had the crash, and I could see. And actually, I thought Gordon did pretty well to stop Cameron getting a majority. But I felt that what happened then for the next five years, as the coalition came in, is that you you, you ended up with this kind of strange alliance of. Labour distancing themselves from Labour's record. The Tories saying that Labour caused the crash. The Tory media saying that we never achieved anything. And you end up with the public saying, well, if nobody's speaking up for... And I wasn't doing... I think Ed always thought this was me sort of feeling very proud about our record. And it wasn't. I actually felt that it was a strategic mistake for him um, not to be making that message that... And the the message for the crash for me was, you know, the crash was caused by these right-wing bastards in America greedy right wing basically if they were british they'd be tories and that's what caused the banking crisis that's what spread around the globe and this is the only country in the world where you've got a government saying it was all caused by the current opposition i think he could have stood up against it but anyway you know it's all gone it's all gone and in terms it just 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 like and in terms of now in terms of this whole economic argument do you think that with Biden doing this big, big, big stimulus package in America mm. and, you know, everyone's on this build back better sort of mantra, do you think Labour should be more bold about the economics of this and say, no, we don't have to have a conversation about balancing the books now. It's more important to sort of, while we can borrow borrow more, to invest properly in the economy, do a a, a you know a, a, a labour economy which will benefit yeah. women. It will benefit the low paid. It will nourish public services. Should that be the argument, or should we still be trying to track the Tories? No, I think you're right. Be cautious. I think, I, think, I think Biden does change the game. And he, you, look, the Tories are spending so much and borrowing so much money now. But I do think you talked earlier about the future vision. Uh, and actually, this is where I think Ed was good on this whole sort of green revolution thing. So I think that mm. you've got to win that economic message, but it's got to be, be about a different sort of economy with a different sort of purpose. And I feel at the moment, I totally agree with what you were saying, we're trapped in the way we talk about ourselves in a world that I think Grace's generation is almost is, is already moved on from. Yeah. I mean, Grace, how, yeah. do, you think, how do you think Labour's doing? Not well. I mean, coming back to, I, I think it's they they feel lost. I, I I mean, look, as someone who's had to listen to conversations about this since I was like a child, I'm well aware of where it's all gone wrong. But I think now, <clears throat> I just don't feel Keir's doing a good enough job of cutting through, and I don't think he's doing a good enough job um, of making it really obvious that he's holding Boris Johnson to account of calling them out on their many, 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 many fuck-ups up until now and, ca- and carrying on with COVID. Like, I just think it's been really weak leadership and and I'm not really sure I buy the excuse of, well, you know, the world's different now, so it's much harder to do that because actually I think there are people who are cutting through in the media at the moment. Keir just isn't one of them and that's what makes me worry that, like, genuinely I don't think he really knows what it is he's trying to do. Right, just, just in case Keir's listening and his confidence is now on the floor, I think Aisha <laughs> should give us another thick of it moment from it. <laughs> but also, Keir, if you are listening, I will happily do magic mushrooms with you. <laughs> in India, in Goa. <laughs> in Goa. <laughs> well, look, it's but it's not all, look, I don't know, I mean... Oh, it's pretty grim, Aisha. I mean, this is the worst government of our lifetime. He's, Johnson is truly awful. 130,000 people dead. The economy absolutely, you know, di- disaster zone. Corruption galore in the whole COVID thing. Brexit, t- total disaster, and nobody talks about it. Oh, my God. Well, this is meant to be a light-hearted podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Give us another. Tell us. Give it. Do, 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 
do an imperson do another impersonation of Ed as he's eating the bacon. Okay, okay. I'll, okay, I'll do I'll do okay, I'll do the classic. I'll do the classic Ed story. Poor Ed, if you're listening to this, your confidence is probably not. We love Ed. Well. I do. We, we love Ed. We love so. Ed. We, we love, love Ed. Ed. We love We love Keo too. We love Ed. Ed. Okay, this yeah. is the, this is my classic Ed story, and this is the PMQ story, which is, as Alistair knows, it was my job to help, like, kind of keep Ed, like, help him prep for PMQs and TV debates and things, and he would get really stressed out every Wednesday morning ahead of PMQs, like, he would get so, so stressed out, and, like, one Wednesday morning, we prepared all these really good questions on the Badger Cull, and he was, and we, we were, like, in really good shape, and then he's fussing around and he's rushing to the toilet and he's on his phone texting the entire shadow cabinet. He keeps running his hands through his hair, which is lovely and dark with that little bit of white kind of going down the centre of it. And we're just about to go into the chamber and he whips around and grabs me by my lapels and he's like, oh my God, Aisha, I've got to ask you something. And I'm like, oh my God, what is it? I was like, is it something to do with our like deficit reduction plan? He's like, honestly, honestly, it's like way more important than that. And I was like, oh my God, is it something that Ed Balls has said? He's like, honestly, shh, just shh. And listen and look at me and answer me this question. Am I a badger? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? He's like, honestly. And then he was like, get Ed Balls. I just get Ed Balls. So Ed Balls comes flying into this, the room behind the speaker's chair. His tie's like this. He's like... <sighs> and Ed's like, Ed, we've known each other a long time. You and me, we go back a long way. Look me in the eye and answer me this question. He's like, <sighs> am I a badger? <laughs> <laughs> and Ed Balls is looking at me and Tom Hamilton going, what the fuck is going on? What the actual... Is he been like a breakdown? Like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> And we were going. So what, was, he, was, he, was he worried that he asking about badgers and the Tories would, Tories would say he looks like a badger? Yeah, because well, because that, of the white bit yeah, of hair. Because of the white bit. Of hair. Somebody <laughs> missed it. Somebody put that thought in his head, though. <laughs> well, it's funny because when you were telling that story and you described the white bit of hair, I was like, God, if now I'm thinking, is he a badger? <laughs> What's really funny is we when when we when he was up at Edinburgh at the same time as like because he loves that story and I've told it many times, but he did his show with um what is it Jeff his like his yeah. like love show yeah they actually did have a section where they brought this massive thing on screen and it was a whole section called Am I a Badger? <laughs> <laughs> so he does really own it now, and every time there's a story about the Badger call, I'm like God, I wish Ed was like the shadow like kind of minister for the environment right now. Now listen, Aisha, your employers would give you a kick up the arse if you didn't promote Times Radio on this um, <laughs> in this book. So yes. do you get more back to the sort of whole thing about women, woman, <clears throat> uh woman of colour, <clears throat> do you get more abuse on social media than your male counterparts doing the same job? Have you checked? Yes. You do. Definitely, as a matter yes. of fact. Okay. Yes. And yes. on the and, and and then the next thing I want to ask you is how is Times without giving me any sort of PR bullshit spin? How's Times Radio doing? Oh, I don't actually. The answer to that is I don't actually know how it's doing. I haven't seen any figures. I don't think we've had any figures through yet. So I genuinely don't know the answer to that question. I think they they have they're kind of taking. My understanding is they're kind of taking a a year to two year view before I think they're going to really sort of look at the numbers I think they're trying to bed it in but and this is no spin um it's a really I have really enjoyed I feel really I, I mean it's a great place to work I get a lot of freedom I mean I get six hours of airtime um Saturday I was just shaking his head going I can't believe they've given you six hours of airtime he's like who can I why why um but it's great and I get to shape my own shows and it's it's you know I I really really enjoy it and I I get a lot of oh you know you're terrible working for this for these people but I genuinely there's no editorial yeah there's no editorial line I ever you know get yeah. as long as you know we give people like a fair you know interview and that that's yeah. the main thing and what do you what do you think of this GB news coming down the track? Again, I just I I feel like because there was so there was a lot of hysteria about Times Radio before it started, and everybody was like, "Oh my god, this is going to be horrific! It's going to be like Fox Radio." And mm. actually, if anything, people complain it's like Remainer Radio because it's it's 
So that's why I, I, until I actually see it, I, I don't know. Having having been yeah. through the Times Radio stuff, let let's see, let's see. <clears throat> cool. Okie dokie. Well, I enjoyed that. Well, that was a real laugh, Aisha. Thank you so much for letting us chat to you. Well, thank you so much for for allowing me on this illustrious podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so what? When we recorded that podcast, mm-hmm. Alistair Campbell, yes, Grace Campbell. Um, Piers Morgan had stormed off the set of Good Morning Britain, mm-hmm. but then later that evening quit. he quit. Slash, we all know got the sack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and then somebody sent me the clip from The Apprentice when you did The Apprentice with oh, him, yeah. and then he got fired, and, and then again. you said again, mm. and you should have tweeted that clip yesterday. Maybe I should, but I wouldn't know how to do that. I know, but I'm just saying it's like that man, right? So obviously very, very deserved. He'll go somewhere else, more right wing, where he'll be watched by less people. Fewer. Fewer people, and it'll be um, not a mainstream platform. Like, Listen, he will bounce back. I've actually spoken to him today. I don't want that in the podcast. Well, I'm, it's not up to you. You, you can't just cancel my conversation. With Why have you spoken to him? Because I listen. I one because I think it's a big thing going on, and I'm talking about it, and I want to know what's going on. Secondly, I remember just just so as you know, for example, I've had a lot of ups and downs with Piers. We've fallen out a lot. Um, he's an attention seeker. He's a narcissist, and all that stuff, right? But he's also got. And I, and I just can't stand this thing about you either have to hate somebody or love them, right? No, but you're not giving even the topic of what he'd no, said about suicide. No, I have done that and I've talked well, about that. Well, say that on here. Well, we talk about, uh, we've talked about that with, with Aisha, or Aisha. My point is that he actually can be a very kind guy. He is very funny. And yes, he's completely. You could say up that about this. loads of people, though. Yeah, I'm sure Donald Trump's kind to some people. No, but yeah, and like I fell out with Piers over his. He's Trump, you know, period, and what have you. My point is, I can't stand this thing where we can, you only have to love or hate, right? It's more, life is more complicated. I'm aware of that. Don't saying, explain so that to me, me like say, I'm stupid, No, please. so let me say, for example, that when I've had real difficulties in my life, so, for example, when David Kelly Hold died, on. so, for example, you know, when finally I sort of decided I've had enough and I left, and other stuff that's happened since then, I would say Piers is always kind of one of those people who kind of... You know, just I'm not saying it's a big thing or a small thing, but it, it, like he's one of those guys who doesn't dump you, right? So I just think yeah, but okay, that's fine, and that's your personal relationship that you have with him. I think you should. Just yeah, think... so don't say to me I don't want it on my podcast that you I'm spoke not... to Piers Morgan. Okay, but don't explain things to me like I'm stupid. Well, you know, I think sometimes no, you, because you can what be. you're not listening to, that's fine. You have a personal relationship with this man, so that's fine, right? You know, lots of people had personal relationships with historically bad people, and so I guess they would have stuck by them. Piers will go down in this period as someone who instigated a lot of hate towards a lot of minorities. That is just a fact. And I don't think it's very good to align yourself with people like that. That's I'm fine not, if he's been I'm loyal I'm not aligned with anybody. I'm, look, he's somebody that I've known for about, you know, 30-odd years. Longer than you've known me? Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, way longer. So you longer. like him more than you like me? Well, obviously, yeah. I mean, you know, I wish, wish he'd live with me. No, great. <laughs> this is what's so ridiculous about the way the debate's gone these days, and this is what gets on my mind. No, nerves. because you're verging into this anti-woke culture brigade right now, which is what no, appears... No, I'm proud to be woke. Well, you're not being very woke by saying that the only reason you're talking to peers is because you think this is, that what the world's gone too far. No, I didn't say that. What is, he went too far. Yeah, right? okay. He went too far. He did. And he lost his job. I think that that is... Did he lose his job? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah. Um, I mean, no, he probably decided in the end, I don't want, you know, you obviously don't want me to be, be what I'm being or whatever. So anyway, I don't know about that. Yeah. I don't really care. What I do think is when somebody, you know, is in the shit, you can... And, and I listen, if Boris Johnson was in the shit tomorrow, I'd pile on him like nothing, Right. But if, if, if somebody's in the shit and get in a bit of trouble, I think there's nothing wrong in saying this and I hope you're okay. That's all I said. Okay, but he hasn't done that for loads of women that he's yeah. interrogated, he's abused. Yeah, but you I'm know. not him. I'm me. I get that. I'm just saying it would have been nice for him to do that to women like Jamila Jamil, who nearly killed herself because of the abuse he gave her after Caroline Flack died. Mm. You know, he's played a huge no, part in the downfall of, of these... And I've said to that to him on air many times. Okay. 
Anyway, so, look, we love each other and we're best friends, no, right? No, I'm not sure about that, because one, you made a very inappropriate joke about um, Prince Harry. Uh, <laughs> that was way, way over the top, which I, I may even cancel for that. I'm not going to do the podcast with you next week. Okay. Unless you get Prince Harry. Anyway, Aisha was brilliant, wasn't she? Aisha was brilliant. Aisha is funny. Aisha was... People don't probably know before she went into politics and the media, she was a stand-up comic. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so I, when I first knew, I didn't know her as a stand-up mm. first and foremost. And then she went out with somebody who worked for me for quite a long time, mm-hmm. uh, Ben. Um, no, we, and we did have, and it's good she can laugh about it because, you know, did I mention the volume eight of the diaries which are coming out at the end of this month? The, I'm not think, quite sure, but I, I think we can say that just one more time. Yeah, I think I did. So it's called um, The Rise and Fall of the Olympic Spirit, but it, it does cover that period she's talking about with these debates when I was Cameron and Ed was Ed. And I mean, some of them, I was over the top sometimes. Uh, but I think you've got to be in those things. I, re- I really, really went for him over. There was, one, know, but... there was one terrible bit where we, we, we were sitting there, Aisha was there and all Ed's team were there. And there's Ed and I at two podiums and Ed's Ed and I'm Cameron. And um, uh, the question was, which of the, can, can the two leaders tell us what's the most difficult decision you've ever made in your life? And I, as Cameron, say, well, sending forces into Libya and, you know, sort of da 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 And Ed said something like, you know, well, the most difficult decisions I make are the ones I make about the policies we have to to develop to meet the interests of the working people, da-da-da. <laughs> and I then said, oh, for heaven's sake, this guy can't even say what a difficult decision is. And that's because the only difficult decision he's ever made was how deeply to stick the knife into the back of his brother. Oh, right? my gosh. And they all went, <gasps> Oh, my I God. I think it might have been Aisha said, he wouldn't say that. I said, Aisha, he would. He would. You're dealing with Tories here. They'll yeah. say and do Did anything. they say stuff like that in the debates? Oh, uh, yeah. They, they Not in the debate. No, it's but, kind of un-British politics to do stuff like that in, in No, but I think what I was debates. doing was I was going over the top like you and Piers do. I was learning from you and Piers about how, how to go a bit over the top just to sort of help him train. Okay, darling. Well, I love you very much and I hope you have a wonderful life. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.